Welcome to Quest, where we believe a great faith, great church experience, and great life is grounded in authentic relationship with God and living life with friends. Join us today in changing our world one friendship at a time. If you would like more information about connecting at Quest, stay tuned after the message. Allow me as well to say a big thank you to everyone who participated in the election, both from voting, but especially for all of you who volunteered here at Quest and uh, gave things to that. You can see from the pictures, it was amazing. I mean, we had the line out the front door. We had six lines looping through the auditorium, back out all the way down to the gym. And when I first got here, the line was all the way back to the stage in the back. We quickly solved that, and so the line was only halfway around the building, but it took until almost noon to get the entire line in the lobby. I I don't know about you, but uh, I just think that is one of the most beautiful things we get to celebrate. I I think sometimes we take for granted how powerful it is, this freedom to vote that we have. So I just think it's fantastic, and it was a fun day doing hospitality. We got to meet so many people and talk to so many people. Uh, It's just a, a great thing. But I also am concerned because there's still so much divisiveness in our country, and I've been thinking about that. I don't know about you, probably have been too. Many of us I know have been avoiding the news. I've been thinking about particularly Abraham Lincoln recently and how after winning the Civil War, he didn't focus on congratulating himself or his supporters, or he didn't focus on punishing those who had fought against him. Instead of vengeance, Lincoln sought reconciliation. And honestly, reconciliation is at the heart of the mission and call God has given us as his church. So regardless of how we voted, how do we do that now going forward in our culture? I think we do it by living out the unity and the purpose, the mission we have as the church. And that doesn't change with the outcome of an election. Thousands of years from now, whoever was running for different offices, it'll be obscure footnotes in history, maybe not even remembered. But the kingdom of God will go on forever. And that's actually where we land today in our one big story on that topic. Last week we were talking about how Jesus ascended back into heaven and sent the Holy Spirit in this epic shift of how God relates to his people and works through his people. No longer does he work and reside only through a temple that people go to worship to, but he, as his followers, has made each and every single one of us a mobile temple of the Holy Spirit. And that day that the Holy Spirit was poured out, was the results were staggering. 3,000 came to know God in that one day, and the churches kept multiplying and growing from that day on to this day. But I think there are questions around the church, maybe more than ever today in America, especially with the Internet, especially with all the stuff that's going on with COVID. Do we really need church is a question I hear. Is it optional? And if it's not optional, what should the church look like? Today we're going to look at, in our one big story, the essentials of church as seen from the very beginning of the Christian church. And this is really critically important for us. Because unless we are the church Jesus calls us to be, our church experience will be far less than what God intends it to be. Which means, think about this. For some of you who are struggling with motivation around church, it might just be because you aren't really following Jesus in being the church he's called us to be. The doldrums you feel about church might really be on you, whether knowingly or unknowingly. 
because you are coming at church with the wrong expectations or motivations and not understanding the purpose that Jesus wants us to be as the church. And wouldn't it be terrible to miss out on something really good and really powerful simply because you had the wrong expectations and motivations about it? So what we know is from the very beginning, wherever the gospel went, the church was left behind. And being the church was so important that throughout history, Christians have risked everything, even their lives, to be a part of Christian community. The church mattered then, and it matters today. We see this little band of persecuted followers becoming this really big, diverse, complex thing called Christianity that spans the globe today. And how did this happen? Because when we look at the first three centuries of the church, Christians were persecuted more than almost any other religious group. And why was that? It's because, partially because they refused to honor the gods and worship the emperor. They were seen as too exclusive. They were seen as being too narrow or as a threat to social order. So why, if the Christians were seen as offensive and were often excluded from influence, places of influence and business and often put to death, did anyone become a Christian? The New Testament scholar Larry Hurtado focuses his studies on this question. What made the Christian community so different? And we're going to kind of look at some of that, but the results of the study explain how the Christian church was both offensive and yet compellingly attractive at the same time. Hurtado actually kind of as a major theme points out the basis for this unusual social project called the church, that its power was its unique religious identity of the Christians. Before Christianity, there was really no distinct religious identity. Now, now let, me, let me explain that. Your religion was simply an aspect of your ethnic and national identity. So the Jews practiced Judaism, right? So if you were from this city or from that tribe or from that nation, with few exceptions, you worshiped the gods of that city, tribe, or people. Your religion was basically assigned to you. For the first major time in history, Christianity more intentionally presented a choice and a challenge, inviting you to choose your religion regardless of your race or class. Christianity also radically asserted your faith in Christ became your new deepest identity in the world, while at the same time not effacing or wiping out your race or your class or your gender. Your relationship to Christ, your identity in Him, the Christian teaching taught us to demote other aspects to a second place in our lives. And this shocked the Roman culture because it meant that all Christians, whether slave or free, whatever class or race they were, were now equal in Christ, which is exactly what Apostle Paul explicitly says in his writings. So in addition... Christianity pushed the social structure of the culture in some really unique ways. So here's one. As you read through Acts, you're going to notice that the church is really a multiracially unified church. Ephesians actually talks about the power and importance of racial reconciliation as a fruit of the gospel among Christians. Here's another way it was unique. Christians were persecuted in prison, attacked, and killed. And yet they didn't seek retaliation against those who harmed them. While they lived, uh, they lived in a shame-honor culture which taught them that vengeance was encouraged as a code. And yet Christians didn't do paybacks and didn't ridicule those who were against them, at least not when they were truly following Jesus. 
Here's another one. Other races and religions encouraged taking care of one's family and tribe, but Christians became known for how they cared for the poor and the sick outside of their own family and tribe, to the extent that they even were widely known to not leave the cities during plagues at the cost of their own lives in order to care for the sick and dying. Another one. Christians were committed to the sanctity of life. There's just one great example of this. In that day, Christians regularly saved unwanted babies that were thrown onto the garbage heaps, which is what they did with unwanted babies back then, to throw them on a garbage heap, to let them die, or be taken by, to be turned into slaves or sex trafficked. Instead, Christians rescued them and raised them as their own. Another one, the church pushed back on the culture's view of sex. The Roman culture was kind of strange around this. Women were, were told to never have sex outside of marriage in the Roman culture, but men, including married men, were kind of said, well, you know, it's a need, go fulfill it wherever you want. It's just, it's just a need that needs to be fulfilled. For Christians, sex outside of marriage is biblically not right. It's wrong. Sex is not a need but a way to give yourself lovingly to another, to love another person as Christ loved the church, to lay down your life for them and be intimate with them in a really safe, deep way. Culture's double standard of the day set for men and women was rejected soundly by Christianity, and instead Christianity put forward a value of self-control and faithfulness and love around sexuality as being the highest value. The church was different than its culture, and it led to having significant impact on it. So does the church have the same impact today? Jesus said about the church, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That is a strong, compelling picture of church, isn't it? I think we could all say, yeah, we want to be a part of that. The word for church in the original Greek is ecclesia, meaning a group of people who are committed to one another and committed to a specific mission. In fact, it was often used during the day uh, to refer to political and social movements. Jesus is saying, I will build my ecclesia, a movement, and the gates of hell will not conquer it. Nothing will stop it. God has created us, the church, to be that powerful. The ecclesia Jesus imagined was a group of people who were committed to one another, who were gripped by his message, who were galvanized by the idea of a resurrection, that he is alive and personally with us right now, and against all odds that he through us would spread the good news of Jesus all across the world because of us following him. See, I believe it's more imperative than ever for us to look at the key essentials of church in our world today. So we're just going to spend our time going through four reasons why, I, why the church really matters today. And we're going to start today by looking at the earliest description of the church in Acts 2 that gives us clarity on what we're really aiming for in following Jesus and being the church he's called us to be. Acts 2, 42, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. 
And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So first, the church, it tells us in that text, is where we are devoted to learning God's word together. So remember, when the church started, there was no New Testament, yet being devoted to the apostles' teaching meant they were devoted to the Old Testament, and they were, they were devoted to the experiences and the, uh, the apostles had, who had had being with Jesus for three years. They were devoted and clung to what these guys had to say, what they saw Jesus do, what they heard Jesus teach. They were so hungry for the teachings of Jesus. So we know today that we are off track as a church when our hunger for Jesus' teachings to guide every aspect of our lives is not there. We know we are off track as a church when we go to church and we sit in the audience and hope the message has a few good jokes so we can laugh a bit and shares a moving story and we listen to some good music music, and we go home just a little bit more inspired. That is just such an empty shell of what God wants us to have. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't have fun, so please pray that I get a sense of humor, right? I mean, laughter is a huge gift from God. What I'm saying is that it's easy in our consumer-focused, entertainment-driven culture to not remember what the main purpose of church is all about. Namely, to come together and worship the one who is the head of the church and to know him better and to together be a more a part of his mission in this earth together. I've quoted A.W. Tozer three weeks in a row, never done that before, but he seems to be on a roll, so we're going to do it again. He says, Our churches these days are filled with a soft breed of Christian that must be fed a constant diet of harmless fun to keep them interested. He's pushing back on how our culture breeds us to be self-focused entertainment junkies. One of the main ways we do this is, is we start to pick and choose what we like best. We become consumers of Christianity. And, and, and we can combat that by being involved in reading and understanding the Bible with others. See, studying the Bible is not meant to be an individual sport. It's meant to be a group activity. It's one of the reasons we gather on weekends. It's one of the reasons we encourage you to be in a small group to learn together. Pursuing truth relationally so it actually fits in our lives with others is our goal. Which leads to the second reason the church matters. The church is where we learn how to live better lives. I know that seems obvious, but God is concerned about our everyday lives as much as he is about us making it to heaven. He's far more than fire insurance protecting us from the flames of hell. Following Jesus means it affects everything, everything about how we live now, today. How do I become a better, healthier person, a better friend, a better spouse, parent, employee? How do I deal with my finances more wisely so I'm more prosperous and generous? The church is a place where we work out these questions together from the Bible. It's not easy, is it, to live Jesus' teachings out? We all need help doing this. You need to be in relationship with people who are going through some of the same things you are, doing life together, where you learn how to love and live like Jesus better. I mean, one of the greatest earthly gifts God gives us is Christian friendship. In fact, I have not ever seen a healthy, vibrant, spiritually mature Christian who didn't have really close friends who they can talk and pray with about real life stuff. 
Every one of us needs at least two or three close friends who we can be real with, who will encourage you to pull into God. I think Paul Tournier puts it best. He says, there are two things you can't do alone. One is be married, and the other is be a Christian. Which leads us to the third reason for the church. The church is where we are committed to relationship to the point of becoming family. It's easy to personalize and customize an individual faith. But that's not the goal, and that's not God's goal. The mission is all about relationships, where we become family. The early church practiced radical commitment to one another. One of the most important parts of being a Christian, actually, is being a part of an imperfect community, isn't it? I mean, I get it. It's, it's difficult to be with imperfect people and uh, don't have it all together, but then we also know that when we walk in the room, we also add to that imperfection, right? Church is an imperfect, messy, sometimes confusing group of people who don't have it all figured out. Church is where we come together and worship in love, regardless of our disagreements, regardless of our politics, all are welcome. Some of us are easier to love, and uh, some of us are harder to love, depending on the day. But that's the kind of community God calls us to be a part of. And I get it, during this weird time of COVID, we've needed to take precautions, and, and some must do church at home and watch online. And I've talked to many of you who are doing that. Some of you are probably listening right now online. It's good online. It's better than nothing. But it's hard, isn't it? It's challenging to do church when gathering with other believers is different than we've been able to do before. And yet even before COVID was started, I was talking to a friend who's not a part of Quest. He was, he was doing church by himself at home, watching podcasts and then applying what he was learning to his life. And he kind of said, that's kind of all I need. That, that meets my need for church. And he said it in a way that kind of really wanted a response from me, which kind of is a complicated moment for me because I love the church, which is probably a good thing since I work at a church. I've never seen a passionate, meaningful, fully developed, non-distorted, balanced faith when someone does it alone. The purpose of the church can't be accomplished alone. It's absolutely impossible. And Jesus makes the church a central part of following him, so you can't follow Jesus faithfully alone either. It's not possible. We can pray at home. We can do Bible studies at home. We can worship home. And you, we should be doing that. We should have those individual great spiritual habits. They are so important. But church is by definition of body of believers coming together. That's what Ecclesia refers to. We gather to honor God, to encourage one another, and be a part of God's mission in this earth together. That's the reason if Hebrews 10.25 says it so strongly, saying, don't neglect meeting together as is the habit of some. But instead, get together and encourage one another to become the church and people God has called you to be. Healthy growth, long-term sustainability in our faith can only happen when meeting together is a consistently high priority in our lives. We cannot give up on community. We cannot give up on the church. Church is essential. Now, like you, I've seen fantastic examples of love and support. Many of them you've demonstrated to me here about how healthy and empowering church as a family can be. 
When I was in college, my best friend passed away. My church community was there for me. They were there to talk to me. They were there to travel with me the 700 miles to the funeral, and I knew I was not alone. But I've also known church to not be there. Maybe some of you can relate to being hurt by church. I certainly can relate to that. I know the temptation when you're hurt to separate from church when you're disappointed. And I'm so grateful that God didn't allow me to do that because isolation would harm me even more as I've seen it do to so many people. Instead, when hurt, God asked me, and he often asks you, to be the one who pulls in, to be the one to be a catalyst to reach out and reconcile and develop deeper relationships. And that's hard. It's a struggle, especially today, to do relationship. And I know so many of us have been hurt by church. That will happen, not might happen. That will happen guaranteed. What I'm saying is, Don't give up on church. Don't give up on developing friendships that are deeper and stronger than that hurt. Don't give up on each other. Jesus doesn't give up on you. He doesn't give up on the other person. Be like Jesus. Don't give up on each other. So if you've walked away or even just you're here but you've pulled back from church because it has hurt you in some way, you felt judged or or was argumentative, or something was difficult in, in the connecting or something, I'm sorry. I know my imperfections and others may have caused that and pushed you away. But my hope is you will see what God wanted the early church to look like and what he wants us to look like today so that you would be a part of Jesus' solution, the church and its mission, rather than pulling away and being a part of the problem. The Bible tells us the church was committed to one another to the point that they were contributing time, love, money, and effort in radically generous ways. Everyone's needs were met. It said no one was in need. The church was not, not only took care of its own people, but those in the community. And I'll be honest, this, I'm really proud of and grateful for you being a part of Crest for, for those things being demonstrated here. So many of you give of your time, your talent, your wisdom, and so many of you are generous with your money and your tithes and, and in the extra ways you give to Quest Care and End Poverty Plus and the election hospitality. And some of you give extra children's ministry and the coat drive and simple, or even just as simple as taking meals to somebody when they're in need and helping each other out. Quest, you are awesome. I think God's pushing us to even go deeper. It's an amazing thing when we look at the early church to look at the level of commitment they had as believers to one another. They absolutely depended on each other, the church. Let's look at this a little more. To grasp the magnitude of the devotion, let's go back to something Jesus said in Mark 3. The text reads, And his mother and brothers came, and standing outside they sent to him and called him. And the crowd was sitting around him, and they said, Your mother and brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my brother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. And I think it's a little bit hard for us to realize how shocking and scandalous this would have been in the moment for him to say that because we kind of just loosely make this into a nice little metaphor. But can you imagine for just a moment being Mary? And the brothers and sisters there, 
You'd put your life on the line, your reputation on the line to be a part of this guy's family, you know, give birth to him. And, and he's saying, my mother and my brother and my sister are sitting around in this circle. Put that in context, their context, the Old Testament made it very clear that having a large family was God's blessing. Family is really, really important in the Bible. So let, let's please understand, though it could easily be at first interpreted this way, Jesus in this statement is, is not devaluing Mary or his brothers and sisters. Rather, he is exploding the boundaries of family, redefining and greatly expanding family. He's saying to us, no, you don't just have a biological family. You have a spiritual family, and the spiritual family is the one that I am most focused on building. Jesus is saying, anyone who is a follower is family. And I wonder if we don't need to more deeply discover this truth as a church today. I mean, I'm forever grateful for my biological family. They paved the way for me to stand on their shoulders by teaching me and and their faithfulness to God. I'm forever grateful to my marriage and my kids who bring joy and shape my character and my faith on a daily basis. I'm not dismissing family in any way, nor is Jesus, nor does the early church do that. However, the Bible is crystal clear in telling us we need to grasp and live out a bigger perspective of what being the church really looks like as Jesus envisions it for us. The early church formed a new family for everyone who became a part of it, where they learned and where they leaned into one another and learned from one another and encouraged one another. The church, in a sense, was a practice field for living out this love Jesus introduced them to. So allow me to paraphrase what Jesus says in John 13 and John 17. He says, if you love one another as I love you, then the world will know that you are my disciples. I find it fascinating that these final words that Jesus spoke and prayed the night he was arrested are, are, are directed at the church and not the world he's trying to reach. It's not because Jesus doesn't care about the world, but it's because Jesus recognized the hope for any community is found in the followers of Jesus in that community. We can pray for America and the world all we want, but Jesus shows us how important it is to pray for the health of us, you and I, as his church. We pray for God to raise up and strengthen us his church, because when the church is strengthened, God's plan for working in the world goes forward. Fourth, the church was committed to praying together and experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, prayer and expectation of the Holy Spirit showing up through prayer was not an afterthought. It was their first thought. In many cases, all they knew was to pray. Someone needed help, pray. Someone was sick, pray. Someone was in prison, pray. Someone was scared, pray. They committed to seeking Jesus together in prayer. How often do you gather to pray with other believers? How do you incorporate prayer for one another and together in your small groups? What might happen to our spiritual life if we did that more often? I mean, church is a little bit like exercise. You can go without it a couple weeks and it doesn't have a large long-term effect, right? Yet if you go without exercise for a month and say, I'll be okay, and then a month becomes a year, you're going to definitely see some negative effects of neglect, right? 
There's going to be some repercussions. You know, you're going to lose your, you're going to lose your six pack and, you know, if you ever, if you ever had one. And, and you're going to lose some spiritual health and spiritual muscle, right? On the positive side, the church is also like consistent exercise. Over time, it will enable you to see health and sustainable strength emerge and change, positive change, will happen. So let's sum it up and wrap it up this way. God designed for us to be a part of a corporate community, the church, that helps develop and sustain our faith and the faith of other people. When we do church together, we'll see our gifts and our strengths in exciting and powerful ways being used by the Holy Spirit to make a difference in our world. Even though we might think that we don't have to gather with others, that we can walk with God on our own and do it by ourselves, we're going to realize that actually denies reality. It doesn't work. To think that leaves us missing the crucial calling Jesus declares over the church when he says, I will build my church, this movement of people together, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Let's be this kind of strong and powerful, influencing, life-changing, spirit-empowered church. Doesn't that sound like something you want to be? So maybe here's some action steps we can look at as we try to walk out the essentials of this. Where is the Holy Spirit inviting you to intentionally deepen relationships in order to develop your faith through study and prayer in those relationships? Maybe that means he's inviting you to relationally, intentionally study, study and do prayer by joining a small group. Maybe it means you're going to be online and you're not able to be a part of a small group, but you'll join me on Monday nights for the chat and discussion. Or maybe it's going to mean for some of you you're going to jump in and serve somewhere and develop friendships that way, giving you a purposeful outlet to your faith through serving and leadership. Maybe for others... You have hesitations about trusting God and giving, and the Holy Spirit is inviting you to take a step to live in and experience the powerful relationships and joy that generosity brings, like we read in the text today. For some of you, it may be as simple as the Holy Spirit's inviting you to commit to consistently, regularly engage in corporate worship here at Quest, whether in person or online. What is the step as well that the Holy Spirit is prompting you to take to help all of us, you and I, who are Quest, we are the church together. The church isn't a building. It's you and I, whether you're here or sitting on your couch at home. What is God asking you to be together with us in and making this church all that God calls us to be? Holy Spirit, I just can't not get excited when I hear that scripture that you want us to be so powerful that whatever problem we face, whether it's our problem or our community's problem or our world's problem, a satanic problem, nothing can stand before the church when we're empowered by your spirit, when we're obedient to you, when we are loving to one another like you asked us to love. So Lord, I just pray that your spirit would come upon us right now and you'd speak to each and every one of us that we would know that next step to go deeper and that next step to experience more and more of that kind of compelling story in our own lives together as a church. Lord, we bless all the churches that preach your name throughout this city and this nation, but Lord, we ask for our church quest 
that you would help us to become so compellingly like the church you want us to be that there would be so much joy in the generosity, so much joy in reaching and seeing people's lives transformed that every single one of us would be connected to you in a way that is so full of passion and hope and promise and purpose that we would know what it's like to be a part of that church that nothing can stand against. So Lord, we just give you our lives today again and we give you our church today again. We give you our relationships here. Come and be at work. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you encountered the love of Jesus in this message. If you'd like to be a part of the ministry God is doing through Quest, whether in person or online, go to questvineyard.org for more information. If you want to worship God by supporting Quest financially, go to questvineyard.org slash give. May God bless you this week as you partner with God to change the world one friendship at a time.